0: Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here, and today I have a privilege of hosting Jill Yegian. She launched Yegian Health Insights in 2018, providing consulting services to clients in healthcare and philanthropy. Dr. Yegian has held leadership positions in a variety of healthcare organizations. In each, she has focused on applying expertise in health policy, payment, and delivery to problems and opportunities. Most recently, she served as vice president for public policy and strategic initiatives at Brown and Tolan Physicians, a large independent practice association in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her background and PhD is in health services and policy analysis from the University of California in Berkeley. And prior to the work that she's done, she also served uh, 13 years with the California Healthcare Foundation, where she worked to improve the California's financing and delivery system for healthcare, which is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about access. We're going to be talking about rising costs and things that we could be doing and thinking about as healthcare leaders and making it better. So with that, I want to go ahead and open up the microphone to Jill and uh, really give you a warm welcome and and thanks for joining us. So glad you're here, Jill.
1: Thank you, Saul. It's great to be here. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and I'm really happy to be a part of it
0: oh awesome so glad you're here and and so you know one of the things that I love asking and I'm curious about is what inspires you with your work in healthcare.
1: So so from my perspective it really what gets me up in the morning is collaboration to improve outcomes and increase value. I just feel like there's so much opportunity to make the system work better for patients, for practitioners, for those who are paying the bill and for taxpayers too. And that could be in terms of higher quality, <clears throat> more access, lower costs. More equitable, a better patient or even provider experience, lots of different aspects uh, of improvement that are possible in our current system. You know, I've always been really interested in systems and in interdisciplinary approaches to solving problems. Both undergraduate and graduate degrees are uh, interdisciplinary, bringing together economics, political science, and sociology. Uh, to inform a systems perspective. And so now I have an opportunity to work at the intersection of delivery, finance, and, and policy. And I think that's really important because changing policy may not result in the change on the ground, for example, changing, uh, expanding health insurance coverage won't create access to care if there aren't enough providers in a rural community or if reimbursement is is too low. So it's really important to think about uh, a system's perspective that brings together different aspects to solve problems.
0: Yeah, I really think that's a, a great approach and a great way to think about this because you're right, you know, if, if they increase Access. There might not be enough people in the delivery aspect, but then there's the financial piece that I think a lot of people are, are concerned about in this country. Uh, a lot of employers, uh, a lot of even, even policymakers, right? We're, we're very concerned about it. Um, we'll touch on this, folks, so don't worry. Uh, but I'm curious from, from your end, Jill, what's a thing that's held you back in the past that you've conquered?
1: That's a great question, Saul. Uh, I would say that it's really most recent uh, related to starting Yegian uh, Health Insights. I've been an employee for most of my life. And the transition to having my own company really required taking some risks. Uh, So there is a lot less security and predictability. It's not always clear. Uh, what next year is gonna bring, and sometimes even next month Uh, earlier in my career, I would say I probably wasn't as comfortable with that level of of uncertainty. And I also didn't have the same level of confidence uh, in my abilities. And and I feel like all that has really come together at this point uh, where I have a breadth of knowledge and experience, I have confidence, I'm comfortable with the uncertainty. Uh, and then the variety uh, in this world is fabulous. Being able to work with a whole array of clients on a whole array of issues, and uh, and make contributions in an array of different uh, areas.
0: No, that's a that's a really great thing to to know and share, Jill. I mean, I know a lot of people listening today have had that challenge or are currently experiencing it. And and so, what is it that got you to to make the move?
1: It was an array of different circumstances uh-huh. uh, that really led to things falling into place. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a point in my career where I really have a pretty long checklist uh, for what would really make me very excited about getting out of bed. And so the ability to make a contribution is really a significant part of that, mm-hmm. and uh, the combination of flexibility, autonomy, variety, uh, and mission was best when uh, in in the um, in, with creating my own company. So that's the path that I've taken, and and I have really enjoyed it.
0: Congratulations! Thank you. So, so in your journey, Jill, who's been a mentor that's made a big impact in your life? What did they teach you?
1: So it actually is pretty recent and related to the creation of my own business. I reached out to a handful of colleagues Mm -hmm. who were also independent consultants uh, to ask for guidance on whether and how to go out on my own. And I have to say you saw that every one of them was very generous with advice and and resources. They Mm -hmm. met with me, shared stories, told me about the positives and also the negatives of independent consulting and really encouraged me to make that leap. So they shared things like contract templates, referred me to their accountants and their attorneys. Uh, Some have invited me to join teams to um, bid on work. Others have sent referrals for new clients. Uh, so that's really been gratifying and, and inspiring in a lot of ways. And I thought I would really miss the team aspect of being an executive. Um, and I've always loved building and leading teams. But it turns out that I just have different teams now. I have a team of, of virtual team of, of uh, in my consultant network. And then I also end up having a team at each client and, mm-hmm. and that's been a surprise and really rewarding.
0: Wow. That's great. And, and, you know, there, there are quite a few, I mean, many like, uh, consultant uh, listeners to this. So I'm sure what you're seeing is resonating with them. They're nodding their heads thinking, yeah, yeah, go Jill, go Jill. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you did it. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cool community and, uh, and, and very neat that you have felt the support and and, uh, and, and love that. And so today, you're, you must have a focus. So what do you think that biggest challenge in healthcare is that you're looking to tackle with your work?
1: Great question, Saul. So I would have to land on cost and affordability uh health costs at this point in in the u.s are over three and a half trillion dollars uh, that's about three times what it was only 20 years ago and it's projected to hit six trillion in another 10 years so when you think about that it's really a staggering sum and it's a heavy burden for individuals and for taxpayers as well you know, the Affordable Care Act uh, resulted in significant progress on, on access to coverage, some of which is now eroding uh, under the Trump administration changes. But it had a lot, the ACA had much less impact on managing costs than it did on expanding coverage. So in the employment sector, we can see benefit costs are crowding out employee salaries. You know, people often think that their employers are paying for health benefits, but that's not actually true. Economists have shown pretty clearly that increases in employee compensation go to pay for increasing health benefits uh, more so than higher salaries and that contributes to wage stagnation. And on the public side, we can see that commitments to healthcare costs for retirees are major liabilities for city and county and even state budgets and there are other um, issues that you can see playing out in the national news these days as well the medic medical debt and bankruptcy is a huge issue surprise medical billing is uh, has received major national attention lately uh, with stories in the media about people arriving at emergency rooms sometimes even unconscious and then receiving bills for tens of thousands of dollars because they received care from a doctor or a hospital not in their insurance network, often without having any idea that's happening. There's actually a new series that CBS News is doing called Medical Price Roulette with journalists at Clear Health Costs um, to bring some of those stories to light and uh, and hopefully create change.
0: Well, it's, it's definitely a problem and, you know, the, the neat thing about how you look at things, Joel, just with your interdisciplinary approach, the systems approach, uh, kind of helps you take a step back and, and thinking about how the, you know, one thing such as, you know, increased costs really means in healthcare really means there, there's a, a wage stagnation and what does that mean to the economy? You know, we got to be, we got to be thinking about these things. And, and so this challenge obviously is a big one, but what would you say holds us back uh, from, from overcoming the challenge and, and, and who's responsible to resolve this?
1: Well, I think we're all responsible. So I think it's a, it's a multi-pronged challenge. It's, it's very, uh, complex, um, and we all have a role to play. You know, mm-hmm. when you think about it on a per capita level, the um, that spending amount is about $11,000 annually. So if we just pause for a moment and, and reflect on that, that's $11,000 for every man, every woman, every child. And that's that's actually quite a lot of money. And so from my perspective, we i'd love for us all to sort of get on the same page about that's enough money like we should be able to provide great care and get great outcomes for that amount of money it's about twice more than twice most other developed countries um and they have better outcomes than we do on some key areas like infant mortality so the question really is what can we do differently to get more out of the investment that we're making.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I think some of the things that, go ahead.
0: Yeah, uh, well, you know, where my mind was going and it was because one of the big arguments is, hey, if you curb costs, then you're shrinking business, right? And so I like that you went to, well, how can we get more from what we're already investing?
1: Absolutely. Yes, I think you know we definitely don't want to put the brakes on innovation, and I think that's something that people get concerned about, uh, but I also believe that we are capable of amazing innovation in this country, and that innovation could be pointed at uh, getting more out mm-hmm. of the healthcare dollar and and not just following this uh this path of ever increasing costs i think some of the things that factor into it because you were asking what holds holds us back uh it's a very complex problem you know insurance all on its own makes all of us less concerned about price right so that's a factor right um and prices are hard to ascertain even when, when you are interested in figuring out what they are. The prices tend to be very opaque mm-hmm. um, in part because of insurance and in part because it is a characteristic um, that, that makes it easier uh, often to obtain higher prices. Market consolidation, I think, is getting increasing attention. The mergers of payers and providers that uh, can lead to market dominance and increased prices. Uh, And then we have on the policy side also uh, created our own constraints. So for example, Medicare's prohibition uh, on negotiating for prescription drugs, which is something that all the other countries um, are able to do, but not here in, in the US. So there are many factors and many other factors as well that contribute. Uh, but I think if we all, you know, uh, we can all figure out what our role to play is and contribute to creating that change.
0: Yeah, no, I I think it's a it's a great call to action, and uh, and like you said, a big problem. What would you give us as an example of? You know, maybe you've helped somebody overcome this challenge uh, in their own way, right? Because there's, there's, like you said, a lot of different uh, people involved, a lot of organizations, but every one of us can have our own way of tackling it. Give us an example of what that looks like for anybody listening.
1: So I'm going to tell you a little bit. It's all about some work uh, that's underway right now in California uh, that I have the privilege of being involved in. So last summer in 2018, California passed legislation that charges the state's Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development with developing a healthcare payments data system. Okay. And the legislative intent behind this system is essentially to collect information regarding the cost of care and aggregate that up from many different sources. Uh, And in other states, this type of system has been called an all-payer claims database. And there are around 20 states right now that have such a system in place. And in California, the goal is really to gather the data that would allow for greater transparency and in turn contribute to a more sustainable healthcare system, more equitable access and higher quality care. So right now we have a multi-stakeholder review committee which was defined in the legislation and is meeting monthly to work through these issues and make recommendations to the legislature and I'm fortunate to be part of the team that is supporting uh, the Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development, which we call Oshpod, in uh, in doing this planning work and will be submitting a report to the legislature by July first. Um, and to, uh, the legislature includes on uh, um, uh, having the database substantially. Uh, completed by uh, July of 2023 so the goal is really to stand up this database that can support analysis and decision-making on topics that include cost and utilization quality coverage and access population health uh, and the health system performance as well for example evaluating alternative payment models so I'll give you one example of how one might Deploy it. So in the prescription drug spending area, that's an area of increasing attention given given the cost increases uh, Over the last number of years and there's a potential to bring together in a database like this prescription drug utilization and spending data From pharmacies with data from medical settings such as physician offices and hospitals and to create a complete picture of prescription drug spending in the state And that would in turn allow us to identify and address cost drivers to benchmark prescription drug costs to monitor out of pocket costs for prescription drugs uh, and investigate how costs affect health outcomes. Uh, And then in, in turn to develop purchasing strategies. That narrow variation uh, and reduce prices. So, that's just one example uh, in a large um, set of potential use cases for a database like this. And certainly, California's policymakers are uh, intending that it be deployed to bend the cost curve here.
0: Yeah, Jill, that's really interesting. And, you know, I, I'm not very familiar with how government does, you know, with these types of benchmarks. Uh, So I don't even want to guess, but, you know, I guess what would your read be on how governments are doing in general to use these types of, uh, analyses to bend cost curves, or is it just not really doing it at all? What's your take on that?
1: Well, so while the government in this in this um scenario and in these all pair claims databases have been uh instrumental in creating the resource, it is definitely not restricted. The use of the data is not uh government specific. Uh so oh, okay. all kinds it's it is there each of the all-payer claims databases has a process for accessing the data and uh criteria and and uh and access processes. But researchers have made great use of it. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen, there was a recent um, uh, report that Rand put out comparing hospital costs paid by employers to what that same set of hospital utilization would cost in the Medicare space and and came up with a finding that got quite a bit of press attention that it was the employers were paying uh, multiple times what the same price, if they had been paying Medicare prices. And that relied in part on all payer claims databases. So there are sort of policy relevant and industry relevant findings uh, that are coming out from all um, all kinds of research uh, venues. They've been published in health affairs and in, in lots of uh, different arenas. So the government has the potential to use the data to create government policy, but industry can use it for benchmarking and decision making as well. Researchers can use data to evaluate, uh, for example, you know, a bundle payment or a reference pricing model, all different payment arrangements. Uh, and so there are a array of different use cases.
0: Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, my my thought was this, this was being built for the government's use, but thanks for level setting. This is actually available to – it's open, obviously, with its process to access it and requirements.
1: Exactly. And generally what states do is have two different uh, uh, categories of data. One is aggregate and de-identified data that is publicly available. Obviously that has been stripped of all identifiers and tested to ensure Mm -hmm. that privacy is 100% uh, protected. And then a different pathway for the data that may have some identifiers associated with it. And that pathway has lots of other safeguards in place There's an application process, there is a review committee to review the application, data use agreement. Uh, and the reason that it is in some cases available with some identifiers is because being able it's it's much more powerful in terms of what can be learned from the data. So there's that balance of the research value of the data versus uh, the privacy protection. But all of this uh, effort is subject to very stringent privacy requirements.
0: Got it. Thanks for sharing that, Jill. It's a great example. And today, you know, I, it's more than just words, folks. It's more than just talk. It's happening, you know, data and the use of technologies to clean the data and process it is becoming a way of making insights to make healthcare better. And so don't ignore it. It's, it's here. And so um, Jill's just given us a a great example in the state of California with her work there. Uh, If you had to summarize a a solution for the listeners thinking, I want to do something about this, what does that plan look like? And what would a common uh, pitfall be that they need to look out for?
1: You know, I think so that there's... uh people are in such different uh, uh, roles and places, it's hard to find something that would work for everyone. But in general, the way that I think about uh, the solution, it's really the whatever role that you're in, uh, to the extent that it's relevant, take advantage of the opportunity to analyze whatever cost data you have maybe if you're in a health uh, care organization and in a leadership role you are actually paying premiums and you have an opportunity to look at the health healthcare care cost data of your employees uh, maybe if you're in a provider organization you have an opportunity to look at it from that perspective or from a Uh, Payer organization, but really I think the three uh, generic steps that I think are valuable are to really take a look at those healthcare cost data and identify where the pain points are and what promising opportunities might be and then to develop and implement a solution and then to evaluate the results and either, you know, double down on something that looks promising, you know, move towards repeating it and scaling it or acknowledge that that perhaps was not a promising pathway. Uh, and choose a different one. I think my hope for the healthcare payments database in California is that some of our uh, large uh, public payers, uh, such as CalPERS, our state employee and retiree system that provides coverage for about a million and a half Californians, Uh, We'll find value in actionable comparative data here. Same with Covered California, our marketplace, which covers over a million Californians, uh, and our Department of Healthcare Services manages our Medicaid program. We have 13 million Californians um, covered by Medi-Cal. So to the extent we can pull together the data from across the state and make it available on a comparative basis, the potential to inform decision making uh, is really tremendous, and I'm optimistic.
0: Wow, that's great! And so, this is uh, the project is is has an output that's due in July. You said
1: the first, yeah. Although it certainly, those who are interested can uh, follow along. California has great uh, open meeting laws, and so the review committee that's meeting monthly on this project uh, now has. Um, has a website with availability of all of the, uh, the agendas and minutes and so forth. And then the legislative report will be handed off on uh, not later than July 1st.
0: Love it. What a great, uh, great work that you're up to there, Jill, and uh, and promising for the 13 million plus Californians and maybe beyond as, <clears throat> you know, benchmarking happens and, you know, people look for ways to to make better decisions with data. Um, so let's, let's get to the call to action here. What, what would you say it is for the listeners today? What's that call to action?
1: I, I'd like to see us all work together uh, to address healthcare costs. So um, whether that's measuring and reporting on total cost of care, whether it's designing health benefits that reward providers for delivering efficient care, for uh, rewarding consumers for choosing efficient providers that can move the dial as well. Uh, And cost sharing should be lower for care that's cost effective. Uh, We can re-engineer care to remove costs from the system. Um, We can identify and eliminate low value care Choosing Wisely is a uh, great example of that uh, created by the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation and is physician leaders uh, in specialty societies identifying the services uh, that from their own perspectives uh, are low value and can, you know, can be dispensed with. And so if they can teach their peers about that and disseminate that through the system, there's a significant potential for reducing overuse through physician leadership. There are lots of really exciting opportunities. uh, And the question really is, what's the one that's relevant uh, given where, uh, where each person is operating in the system?
0: It's a great call to action. And folks, if you're, li- you're listening, obviously, uh, or if you're listening, are you listening? How about now? Are you listening? <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope you are now. Um, it's like, you know, Jill gave us a really great, great way to think about this. And, and you just have to decide, you know, if, if you're uh, part of a large business or even a small business, you have healthcare costs. Most likely they're too high. And so, you know, look at the healthcare cost data that you're dealing with, and find an area of improvement. Develop that solution around that problem, and then evaluate your results. I mean, Jill laid it out for us in a really easy way. Whether you're at a large enterprise or a smaller one, it's critical that you do it um, because, obviously, you know the, the the result is we keep getting the same over and over and that's not what we want so what what would you say is is the biggest cost of not moving forward with that call to action joe
1: so back in the 1970s mm-hmm. president nixon talked about the extraordinary burden of health care costs on the american people uh when he proposed his comprehensive health insurance plan but over the last uh, Forty years, costs have just continued to increase. I'm really concerned that if we see costs continue to increase at a similar rate for the next forty years, uh, we'll see a very significant crowding out of other social investments that are really critical mm-hmm. to our country. <clears throat> you know, education, public safety, infrastructure, defense, uh, healthcare is is going to suck all the air out of the room. Uh, and so I really hope we can get our arms around it.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a great call out, right? Because nothing, nothing comes without a cost to something else.
1: Exactly. Right. Uh, we're making choices uh, now,
0: right? I mean, schools are already suffering. I mean, you know, month you see teachers on strike and, you know, it's a problem.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: a problem. Hey, Well, listen, folks, uh, take take Jill's message to heart. I know I am. I'm already thinking about a couple things to do. I got a, I got a little posted here, Jill, and I got a couple notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so appreciate you counting on you, saw. <laughs> hey, 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 it takes it takes a village, right? And I know the people that yeah, listen absolutely. to to this and are listening to your message, Jill, are are thinking about ways they could do their part. Um. So, J- Jill, this has been incredible. I-, I I love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners, and the best place they could continue the conversation with you.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I did my those. My closing thought would just be uh, that we really all have a role to play in in bending the cost curve, and um, and I encourage everyone to. Uh, to put their shoulder to the wheel. The best way to get in touch with me is uh, LinkedIn. I am easy to find. There are not very many Jill Yagin and I'd love to hear from your listeners.
0: Outstanding, Jill. And folks, take that call to action, do your part and also reach out to Jill if you found today's episode intriguing. So Jill, just want to say thanks again for your time. It's been fun.
1: Thank you, Saul. Appreciate the opportunity.